So prophets were sent to do what? What, did, what was the first part of their message? They always identified what? The sin of the people. The second thing that they did was they what? Well, they warned them what was about to happen. Right? So they, they told them, this is what you've done. This is what's happening or what's about to happen. And then the third thing was, this is what godly repentance looks like. Would you agree that in our culture, and I'm not talking about the American culture, I'm talking about the church culture of America, that we don't have a good grasp on godly repentance? Yes or no? We don't. We have redefined repentance. To, and, and you got people that are, are upset that either A, they've been caught in sin, or, or B, they don't like their consequences of sin, or C, they don't like how long these consequences are lasting. And they don't want consequences, but it's not because they want to be with God, they just don't want the consequences. You guys know anybody like that? You ever talk to anybody like that? I've talked to lots of guys like that. I've been that guy. Okay? So, as we go into Haggai 2, do you feel like you have a little bitter grasp of Haggai now? If somebody said, hey, you ever heard heard of this book named Haggai? What was it about? Well, it was about rebuilding, but what's the first? I gave you a word in your notes there. Priority. Priority. That's the first session. It's priority. Refocusing our priority. So the second section, this we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 of chapter 2, is about perspective. Perspective. Would you guys agree that sometimes you get your priorities right, and just as soon as you say, God, I want to change my priorities, that the enemy or, or somebody he sends comes right in after that and you get discouraged again. Has that ever happened to you? You ever make a change? Man, I, I, I want to do this. I want to do the right thing. And you do it and then not a few days later, the enemy's knocking on the door trying to tear you down again. And we're going to see that in this section. So remember... Um, really Haggai is broken down into four sermons or four messages from Haggai to Zerubbabel, to uh, Joshua, and to the people, the remnant. And notice they're called the remnant. Remember why? I hope you remember this. How many of you guys have read through the book of Esther? Raise your hand. How many of you guys have ever thought that it probably was, didn't think about the fact that it wasn't a good idea that there were still people in Babylon when they should have been in where? Israel. I've never thought about that. I've been more concerned with how God raised Esther up instead of the fact that they shouldn't have been there. But now, I hope you, you'll remember that because there's going to be times in your life where God wants you to be over here and you want to be over here. And if you go over here when God wants you on here, I can promise you it ain't going to be a good experience for you. How'd that work for you? Yeah, how'd that work for you? 
That's right. You got that. So the first sermon that he gives, first message is on priorities. Rebuilding God's temple. The second one is on our perspective. Who are we laboring for? Now, one thing I didn't bring out during the first session I want you to think about is, and we'll get into this a little later, but do you guys realize that we are the temple today? How, how have you been doing on rebuilding your temple? Have we been more like the remnant who is distracted and discouraged and we're working on our townhomes instead of our temple? I know guys that go out and they go into the gym, man, they'll spend three hours in that gym and they can't cut ten minutes to go to the Word of God in the morning. They're working on the paneled houses. That, that house is going to burn up and go away. Man, that body's going to be... I, I've, I've buried so many people in the last three years. It's been painful to watch, but every one of those bodies was a shell that just carried the soul that one day is going to stand before the God in heaven. So what are you working on? Well, the third message he gives is about promises. His promise, the one he gave yesterday, is still valid for us today. And then the fourth message is on his plan, his ultimate plan. And, and so I've taken the third and fourth and put them into one for tonight. But this session is really about dealing with malcontent people, what I call detractors. The first session, we dealt with distraction and priorities. This one, we're dealing with detractors and perspective. Do we have people that speak into our lives just for the fact that we might love God and they want to bring us down? Somebody didn't put their airplane mode on. That's 40 lashes right there, man. Minus one. Do we have people that do that? Do we have people in this country right here that simply because of the fact that we love Jesus, we love God, we want to take a stand for Him, they don't like us? Yes or no? Is it going to get better? They're not here. In the Bible, it's clear it is not going to get better here. And yet, you got a lot of people that hang on to that. So we're going to look at verses 1-9 through nine of chapter 2. So open up your Bibles there, and let's, go, let's jump back in to Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, so how long has that been now? The, so we started in the... Sixth month on the first day. We ended chapter 1 on the 24th day of the sixth month. So now we're on the 21st day of the seventh month. So it's been a month into the rebuilding pretty much. They're back for a month. And the word of the Lord, again Yahweh, came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Notice how many times it says that in this book. 
God's word, guys, comes through his people. So when you go to church on Sunday and you listen to the pastor and you go, you know what? He wasn't very good today. He was a little off. You're listening for delivery and not content. Most of us have been conditioned in this country to go into church on Sunday as we gather to hear God's Word and instead of focusing on the Scriptures He's reading, to focus on the delivery. God's Word comes through His people. Jonathan Edwards used to read his sermons monotone. So that he would not influence people, but they would be influenced by the authority of God's word. But not us. We got to have the jokes. We got to have the delivery. We got to have the right look. But God uses his people to send his word. And he did that with Haggai and he brings that out. Verse 2 says, speak now. To Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say. So this is the same audience as chapter 1. Verse 3. Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? What's going on? What's happening? God is addressing, remember when He speaks through a prophet, He's addressing a sin. And what's the issue here? It's not the bad people on the outside trying to shut them down. Now, it comes from within. Hey, by the way, can we be attacked? people within the body of Christ for doing the right thing? Can people within the body of Christ be mumblers and grumblers because they don't like what's going on? Because it ain't as good as it used to be when God may be doing something different? You bet. He says, who saw the temple in its older days? And there were a few guys there. Some people believe Haggai might have been one of them. How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? What he's saying is, you don't like what you see because you're comparing it to the old Solomon temple. The old folks were looking at scorn at this rebuilt temple because they were looking instead of what God was doing through these young people at what they wanted to see there. What they wanted to see there was the old rebuilt temple the way it was before it came shattering down. Before Nebuchadnezzar wiped it out. I'll tell you something. I've counseled a lot of guys who've committed adultery and had marriage issues because of that. And I tell them something somebody told me that God used to speak to me many, many years ago. When you blow it in your marriage because you break the vow, your marriage will never be the same. It can't go back. And God doesn't want it to go back. It's going to be better or worse. But it'll never go back to what it was. Because what it was led it to where it was. 
Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. They were complaining. We want to go back. Man, it's not like it used to be. In fact, if you go back to Ezra and you read in the book of Ezra, chapter 3, I think it is, you see it says they're complaining. These old men are weeping because it's not like it used to be. But the young men, you know what they're doing? They're singing. And it says they couldn't distinguish between the singing and the weeping. They, they, it was confusing because you got some guys crying, you got these guys happy. Do we ever have that happen? In fact, in Ezra 3.12, it says, Many of the old men who saw the temple wept with a loud voice. The young guys singing, old guys weeping. You know what Zechariah said? Zechariah was written, it just came out just like a month or two after Haggai. In Zechariah 4.10, it says, Whoever has despised the day of small things will rejoice. And they will see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hands. <coughs> what he's saying is, guys, this is going to be glorious. You're looking at what it is now, not what it will be. By the way, do you know who walked in Zerubbabel's temple? You see, what they were thinking was about the gold, the silver, all those things that were there, those golden covered things that were in the temple. It was magnificent, all that stuff that was in there. And they were thinking about that. This didn't have that. This is rebuilt. And it doesn't look anything like that. But do you know who's gonna, who walks in Zerubbabel's temple that never stepped foot in the first temple? Jesus, the Messiah, would actually walk into that temple one day. God knew what He was going to do. It, 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 it's, you know, Herod, I, I lead groups to Israel and we look at the life of Herod. Herod was really infatuated with himself. He was a magnificent builder, but he wanted everybody to know he was a good builder. So he built uh, Caesarea as a big port. And it was, it was like one of the greatest in the world. He built all the, he, he saw the temple and he said, you know what? This isn't good enough for my glory. Zerubbabel's temple is not good enough. So this Edomite king who could care less about the things of God said, I'm going to make it bigger and better. So he spent 46 years adding on to what Zerubbabel built. 46 years because he said it wasn't worthy of his glory. Not God's glory. Herod's glory. Hey, guys, can we, can we take something that God's wanting to do and make it about us. You ever do that? There were seven temples in the Bible. If you look from the beginning to the end. The first one was the tabernacle of Moses. Okay? The second one was Solomon's temple. David wanted to build it. God said no. And so Solomon built it. The third one was this temple Zerubbabel built. Herod didn't build it. He just added on to it. But Zerubbabel laid the foundation. The fourth temple is the body of Christ. 
You see, the temple was where the church, not the church, sorry. The temple is where the people of God would go to be with God in his presence. His presence dwelt at the temple by his own proclamation. And so the church today is where we see God. Inside the Old Testament, it was go to the temple and see in the New Testament, it's God's people take the temple and be. Okay. But that was the fourth temple. The fifth temple is the rebuilt temple of God. I'm sorry, the rebuilt temple of the Antichrist. In Revelation, there's going to be a rebuilt temple. And it's the rebuilt temple of the Antichrist. The sixth temple is Ezekiel's Messianic temple. And the seventh temple isn't really a temple at all. It's when the universe is there and God says, I'm the temple. So that's that's the seven temples. So whenever we label, I'm sorry, labor for the temple of God, we lay aside our own purposes to do what God wants us to do. So if he wants you to go to Africa, Henry, you go to Africa. If he wants you to go to India, you go to India. If he wants you to adopt some children, you adopt children. Whatever he wants is what you do because you labor for him. And we are committed to rebuilding the temple that he sees. You know, John and I were in a restaurant, John Williams, last night. He was there with my family. And one of the things we do is we always pray for our server. We ask him, hey, is there anything going on in your life we can pray for? I've been doing that for 24 years. I've only had, in fact, I don't think I've ever had a server say no. I have had servers say, I don't know what you can pray for. But I don't think I've ever had a server reject me praying for them. And it was interesting because we were in a conversation with this server asking about her needs and her family and things going on. And there, were, there was a young couple behind us that I caught out of the corner of my eye just watching everything that was going on. And I saw the girl talking to her husband, pointing. You know, they were, they were listening to everything. And the hope is, is that as we do those kind of things out there, that we're putting God on display in the same way that when people would come to the temple, they would see God on display. See, the New Testament is about going and being God's presence, putting Him on display around us. If we're laboring for Him. Three times we've had people go away from the table in tears because they said, I didn't think anybody cared. But we are to be God's temple out in the world. We are to put Him on display. The church is a temple, guys, and we should be about temple building. Showing people the glory of God where we go. And unfortunately, the world around us They don't see that. They see us as hateful, bigoted. And listen, Brad will tell you, I speak the truth 
Like, I have no problems confronting LGBTQ and the mafia, the alphabet mafia, you know. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with speaking truth about abortion. I don't have a problem with that. But I want those sinful people, just like me, to know that there's hope for them. That they can turn just like I turned. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. I'm a thief. I'm a liar. And yet, I'm not that way anymore. Because God came into my life through people who put Him on display. And I said, I want to be like that, God. How can I be like that? And He changed me. Are we committed to the One who deserves honor? Yahweh and living for Him? How are we doing? You know, 1 Corinthians 4 Paul says that we are to be trustworthy stewards. Are we good stewards of what God's given us? Our life, our time, our money? I remember having a conversation with a guy not too long ago talking about his giving to the church and to church things, kingdom things. Call it what you will. And he was frustrated I've worked hard for this money was the words that came out of his mouth. See, that's a problem. That's a real problem, guys, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. You've worked hard, hopefully, for the glory of God. God may steward you money to use for Him, but when you start thinking that it's your money, you've gone away for laboring for His glory. It's all His. It's all His. Does God want you to sell everything and go work among the poor in India? I don't know. He might. I can tell you this, if you hold on to your resources like this, He'll pry your little hands open if He's your God and He's your King. Morning, Jeff. He will. But listen... We're always going to be struggling this side of heaven with this issue. Whether it's our time, our money, uh, whatever it is, to labor for the glory of God. Here's the question we got to ask ourselves. God, what do you want me to be doing right now? Right now. Not next week. Not three weeks. Right now, God, what do you want me to be doing for you? And we can't allow the detractors around us to cause us... What happens, guys, when we start getting criticism, when we're doing things for God, when we start going through difficult times, we become self-centered and we focus inward. And we don't labor for our own glory. We labor for comfort. We labor for just release, relief. And, and so these people were getting beat down by the older guys of the group. Saying, hey, you guys are doing all this, but it ain't, it doesn't look like it used to look. And so, listen to what he says in verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. 
Work, he says. And I love this. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. God, that is so... Guys, this is so important. Do you know how many times I have guys talk to me? It just seems like everything works out for you. You pray and God answers. He never answers my prayer. You always get stuff. It just seems like everything always works out for you. Really? You really believe that? Why don't you come spend about three weeks with me? Walk with me through dealing with family issues. Walk with me through dealing with my own personal struggles. Walk with me. How are you always so relaxed? Henry will tell you I'm not always relaxed. Brad will tell you I'm not always relaxed. They spent time with me. Harry will tell you that. Anybody that spends time with me knows I get wound up. Don't have Brad. You got eight kids, man. And they don't always make the best choices. And you're sitting there trying to help them figure out life and you don't want to make it a choices farm, but they're in a pile of mess. They're in a pile. The thing that I love about what he just said in his word, work for I'm with you. I can honestly say, guys, there's been one time in my entire life, 62 years old almost, next month, I'll be 62, and only one moment in my entire life do I remember feeling like maybe God wasn't with me. And that's when I was a pilot in the Marine Corps. You, you know the story. I almost got killed in a plane crash. And the reason I felt that way is because I was making terrible moral choices in my life. And at that moment, my life was about to be snuffed out. And I thought it was. And I knew where I had been wasn't where I wanted to be. And I ended up crying out to God, give me some kind of sign. God, show me. That was the only time in my life. And, and I, I, I repented that day. And I remember going forward, not that I've had perfection. I've certainly had a lot of mistakes since then. But I've always known He's there. It's been the, it's been the guiding rock of my life that He's my dad, He's my father, and He's always with me because I'm His child. And He says it in His Word. I believe His Word. I trust it. And that's what He wants us to believe. Because when we start looking to other idols, other things, it's because we think money is going to give us security. We think a job is going to give us security. We think family relationships are going to give us security. But only Yahweh can give you true security. Only Yahweh. His is the only pen that matters anyway. He says three times to Zerubbabel, he says it to Jehozadak, and he says it to the remnant. And then you notice what he says? Look in verse 5. He says, According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Guys, do you know 
that the greatest act of God in the Old Testament was the delivery of His people from Egypt. There's nothing greater. It's the, it's the benchmark of His love and His power for His people. He refers to it over and over and over in Scripture. Politics can change, He says, but I haven't. Yes, Cyrus isn't there anymore. It's Darius. But it doesn't matter. I haven't left my throne. Guys, we can have a transsexual, LGBTQ, 50-letter, whatever, as president of the country. God doesn't change. He is on the throne. That's what He's saying. And He says, fear not. My Holy Spirit's with you. His covenant and His Word never change. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? Or is it just something nice you say because you know you have to say it or you know you're supposed to say it? Verse 6, He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, there's that word again, Lord of hosts, Yahweh of the universe, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the universe. He said, I'm going to shake the heavens, man. I'm going to shake the oceans. I own it all. And he's saying to them, you're part of something big. One day, I'm going to bring all the wealth of the world to honor me. Oh, it may be in the hands of the evil people now, temporarily. But it's coming to me. We're part of something, guys, that will never fail. If you're his, God wins. Sorry to blow it for you, but he wins. Listen, what he's saying in Haggai is mentioned over in Hebrews. Listen to this Hebrews 12. Hebrews was written to a bunch of people struggling. Hebrews 12, verse 26. Listen, he says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Hey, you guys who read the New Testament and don't read the Old Testament, did you ever know what we just read in Hebrews came from Agai? Now you do. Do we need to unhitch from the Old Testament, guys? Say it louder. That's a bunch of garbage. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal or things that are shaken. Wait a minute, guess what? Do you guys realize that Scripture just told you what it means? Wait, you mean Scripture can interpret Scripture? That's right. I can't understand the Bible. You guys understand what that just said? Was that hard? Let's be honest. Is that hard to understand? It just said, this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. What did he say he was going to shake? You remember? The sea, the land, the earth. So what does that tell you about everything? 
He rules it. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 2 Peter 3 tells us what it means. Everything on earth is reserved for fire and judgment. That nice house you're working on, gone. Those nice cars you got, gone. All that material stuff that you worry about, gone. The only thing that remains is one thing. Your relationship with Him and your labor for Him that you did on earth. Can I ask you a question? Where's my Florida grad? Anybody from Florida? Yeah, there's Brian Andrew, you, big Florida grad. Did they teach this at the University of Florida? What about FSU? Any FSU guys? They teach it at FSU? No. Hmm. People go to fortune tellers, tarot card readers, palm readers to find out the future. Guys, we know the future. <laughs> Why? Because God's Word. His Word tells us. Listen, do you think those fortune, card, uh, fortune tellers tarot card readers, palm readers, everybody who, quote, knows the future, did they ever tell anybody God's will for them? Yes or no? No. no. God is the only one with the right to this kind of glory, guys. Do you know what happens when you start thinking you are in charge? What happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. He wandered like an animal in the wilderness. What about Herod, who thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread? Got eaten by worms. Guys, do we ever think we're the greatest thing since sliced bread? Let me rephrase it a different way that might make it easier for you to understand. Do we ever sit on the throne of our life like we're in charge. When God's done so much, and He says it very clearly, I am Yahweh of hosts. I'm the Lord of hosts. Oh, but God, I know better than you. That's why God gives us teenagers. Sorry, guys. But to show us what we're like. If you've ever had a teenager... You, so how many times have you said, I warned you. I know I made the same mistake. I told you, if you do A, then B's going to happen. I know, Dad, I know. Then why'd you do it? I don't know. It just seemed like a good thing to do. Don't you hate that question? I hated it growing up when my dad would say, why? Why'd you do that? Because I'm an idiot. I'm just an idiot. <laughs> just follow my own lead. Listen, he says in verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. Guys, let me, can I just say this to every guy in here who worries about money? 
It's all His. Go back to last session. Remember what we said? You plant a lot, but you gather a little. You know what? If I just won the lottery, I'd give a lot of it away. That's baloney. Because if that was true, you'd win it. It ain't true. Guys, I, I literally was standing in line last night to buy some stuff for today. The grocery store. And a guy came up and bought. He was buying, I don't know how many tickets. And I, I was saying something to the clerk. I said, man, that's a lot of money. He said, well, there was a guy in here yesterday spent spent $1,000 on lottery tickets. I'm like, are you kidding me? $1,000? And, and, and people are always wanting to hit it big. And I, I crack up at the little warnings they put on the machines. Like, if you have a problem, don't buy these, right? Every guy that buys it has a problem. Do you realize, I, I, I was sharing with Henry, I, I, I know one person that over $100,000 in lottery tickets over the last couple of years. That's insane. Think about what that could, done, that could have done for the kingdom. Think about it. He says the silver and gold are His. Verse 9, listen. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. He's saying, listen, you, you, you're complaining. All these guys complaining because it ain't like it used to be. It's going to be better and you can take it to the bank. Write it down. I'm going to give peace. God's promise is not only good for the present, guys. It's good for the future. Why were they so upset? Why was their perspective skewed? Because they forgot. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 says that um, when Jesus suffered, where did He go? Where did, where did he have to go? Where did they put the bodies of the animals they burned for sacrifice? Outside the gate. Outside the camp. The bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. In Hebrews 13 it says, Jesus suffered outside the gate. Therefore, it says, let us go to Him Outside the gate, bearing the reproach he endured. Go to him outside the camp, guys. Because when you go outside the camp, you're going to bear his reproach. The world's going to hate us. They're going to mock us. Because we're his. You know why we're ridiculed if we're His? It's because we're outside the camp. We're outside of the world system. They don't like that. Every time we're around people that are in the world system and we're living under different values with a different allegiance, they don't like it because it highlights where they are. People make fun of us because they don't have the right perspective that God wins. He says He'll give us peace. It doesn't matter what other people think. You just be concerned about what I think. So, in chapter 2, verses 1-9, through nine, this is what he's saying. He's with us. 
Is that comforting? Two, he says, I'm still in your midst. I haven't left. And the third thing he says is, I'm going to shake this world. And the only thing that's going to remain is Jesus and his people. Jesus and his people. Are you one of his people? I hope so. I hope so. That's what he wants us to be. When God created you and me, guys, he created us for a dependent relationship. He's the king of all creation. And he says, I'm making Henry so that Henry can be in relationship with me. But because of selfishness, selfledness, and our desire to be on our own, our desire to not be told what to do, our desire to not be accountable, to be wise in our own eyes and be the captain of our own ship, we're apart from God. The Bible says we were born with a sin nature that corrupts us from the inside. Nobody seeks God. Nobody wants a relationship with God. We're dead, Paul says. But, it also says in Romans uh, 6 that the wages of that separation is eternal death. That's no hope, no help to be separated from God for eternity. But in His mercy, God sent Jesus to say, hey, I will give you forgiveness. I will die for you. I will take the punishment for your sin. If you trust me and my suffering, my death, my resurrection, turn, which repent, you're going this way, following your own lead, and you want to go that way. And there's a lot of teaching in the world that says that you can be going this way and you pray a prayer and you can keep going this way and it's okay. You can be okay with going this way. And that's bad teaching. Because nowhere in Scripture do you see Jesus affirming anybody that denied His kingship. Nowhere. So you can't take Him as Savior and deny Him as King. It's impossible. Because the reason you embrace Him as Savior is because the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. And as He reveals it to you, He's not going to reveal that He's Savior, but deny to reveal to you that He's the King of all creation, including you. Now, it doesn't mean that you and your own effort go that way. It means that you recognize that He's the only one that can get you that way and you want Him to take you that way. That's what godly repentance is. And we've grown up in a culture where people, you see them at Billy Graham Crusades, you see them at big gatherings, people just deep beaded boppy going down there to the front to say a prayer with their friends laughing about it. Yeah, I trusted Jesus, I prayed the prayer. No life change in their life for 30, 40 years. And they'll make a statement, yeah, I trusted Jesus when I was eight, but I didn't make Him my Lord till I was 48. That is not true. You can't do that. You didn't trust Him. You did something when you were eight. But you didn't embrace Him as Lord and Savior. Because when He does that work in you, He starts the process of conforming you to the image of Christ. And if you see no fruit in that period for... I'm talking 
And nobody knows what the, the, the timeline, and we can't judge people's fruit. We don't want to be fruit checkers on other people. But in our own life, we need to know if we're rejecting Him as Lord, there's a problem there. We trust Him. We follow Him. And we want Him to lead us. Now, do we do that perfectly? No, it's not about perfection. It's about the direction and allegiance. Our loyalty is to Him. He turned to Peter and said, Peter, are you going to leave like these people that said they were disciples? Peter said, Lord, where are we going to know? That's the difference. Peter failed. He denied Jesus. But he knew the only one that could give him forgiveness and lead him was Jesus. And so he died on that cross. And he says, if you turn... If you turn, don't want to lead your own life. Don't want to make it to heaven on your own accomplishments. You know I'm the only way you get there. Trust me. He says, repent, believe, and follow. You follow me. Who are you following? Do you follow Him? If you ain't following Him, who are you following? You always follow somebody. So that's the gospel right there. That's the good news. That the king wins. He died for us. And he wants us to embrace him as Savior and King. And if you've never done that, today would be a great day to start. Bow your heads with me real quick. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for, gosh, this word through Haggai. To remind us that there will be malcontents and detractors who try to discourage us. And Lord, I pray that we would be guys that surrender to you, trust you, and follow you. We would acknowledge that you are king. The kingdom is now. And Lord, we would respond by believing. Believing. Believing not only in the facts about what you did, but believing in you here alive today to lead me. I don't have to worry about uh, the future. I can trust in you because you're sovereign and you're over it all. And if there's anybody here, Lord, who's not done that, today would be the day. And right where you are, you can just tell them, Lord, today. No, no fancy prayer, just Lord man, I've been living as my own king. I don't want to be the king anymore. I want to surrender that to you. I want to trust you as my Savior and my Lord. And from this day forward, Lord, I want to labor on your temple. I want to rebuild the foundation and I want to put you on display. In your own words, just tell them that right where you are. Father, thank you for this time. As we go out to our activities, keep us safe. I pray that we would have a blessed day and that when we return this evening, we would be full of uh, good fellowship and just uh, able to come together and enjoy a meal tonight and a final session. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Hey, uh, guys.